Возлюбленный Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег, могущество Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше, от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец Сын Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Oh
Силач смеялся громко, Давид дворца призвал. Врага сразил он с Богом сил, Принес победы честь. Тот же Бог, что за Давида был, Сегодня с нами есть. Ныне он, ныне он, Тот же есть, тот же есть, Он сегодня с нами есть. Ныне он, ныне он, Тот же есть, тот же есть, Он сегодня с нами Человеком не падал Даниил, то в вины ров на гибель врагами брошен был, там львам голодным пай закрыл могучий Божий пест, тот живот, что с Даниилом был. Сегодня с нами есть. Ныне он, ныне он, Тот же есть, тот же есть, Он сегодня с нами есть. Ныне он, ныне он, Тот же есть, тот же есть, Сегодня с нами есть. Когда Иона Бога послушать не хотел, В китовом темном чреве Три дня молясь сидел. Потом, смирившись скорбный час, Понес он Божью весть, Тот же Бог, что для Ионы был, Сегодня с нами есть. Ныне он, ныне он, Тот же есть, тот же есть, Он сегодня с нами
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God that are yet unfamiliar to us, but that the Lord continues to reveal to us deeper and greater. The book of Matthew 5:45 and 48. <clears throat> that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. This promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue, and in part we have been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets in which we died by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life, so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4, 13. We know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us and is our head. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God, in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which is the spoken word of God's delegated ones, because the faith of God is information that comes from God. Faith is from hearing the word, information that comes from God. Our faith is obeying the words of God, dissolving them, obeying them. To examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order. We're talking about the delegation of wisdom to interpret and read the scriptures in accordance to the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. Apostle John writes, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and this is when the church just began, Antichrists already were there. 
Even now many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And every time we pay attention to this here, these antichrists, they went out from us. Anti is against or hater of Christ. But they were not of us. These are not people of the world. These are people who were not haters of Christ previously. They were born from God as all of us and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, made a covenant with God, and everything was fine. But then they became disobedient to the order of God and resisted the order of God, refused to be students of Christ and decided to be teachers. They then ha began to have their own personal opinions on what the scriptures say, began to rely upon their head and their mind and uh, no longer obey uh, the structure of theocracy and replaced it with democracy. And they themselves uh, turned themselves into antichrists. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have the anointing from the Holy One, and you know all these things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 1 John 2, 18 through 26. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing specifically in the covenant of peace, God placed the treasury of his hope that contains the complex of all of the promises of God that when accomplished is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God containing the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because this is where the promises of God are, is to place us into Jesus, to place us in the, most, the safest place. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. When we end up in Jesus Christ, we are in Him, we receive everything that is necessary for us. There, you absolutely do not need to ask for anything, to desire for something, because everything is in there, in Jesus Christ. Since he's him, uh, that he's provided for in Jesus Christ, and everything that he gave to Christ, he gave to every, was, uh, every one of us individually, and when a person accepts this with his heart, it's not important then what clothes he has, what kind of car he drives, the house he has, whether his marriage is successful or unsuccessful, he begins to rejoice. As I often say, imagine upon your account there are um, billions of dollars and they belong to you. But you are in the position or you have not yet taken from there, you may be in some kind of poverty and people look at you and they uh, judge you according to your clothing. A person is to be judged by what's in, upon his account and not the car he drives or clothes he wears. Many millionaires drive simple cars, dress in very simple clothing and many people who earn 
Maybe just a little more than a poor person will uh, wear expensive clothing, have expensive cars, and it's very important to them. But uh, for a person, say, that is rich, he just dresses as he's comfortable, he doesn't care for it. Because popular clothing, often the, 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 the clothing that is in style is often uncomfortable or what is the trend in the moment. And what is uh, popular in the moment is often not comfortable. You can't either turn your head because the, the neck area is not, created, not uh, sewn in a very comfortable way. And so you can't often even identify who will be a rich person from a poor person because they like comfort. So the children of God are like comfort, comfort in Christ. And so it's not important for them what they're wearing, the car they're driving. It absolutely, they're not worried about this. They're so self-sufficient in Christ and, and joyful that everything, all their answers are there. They just wait for the time when God will actually bring about all those promises and they consider themselves dead to sin, living for God, and proclaim the non-existent as existent. And so the peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus and what are what the thoughts we have are who we are, our thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8, 6 through 8. According to this statement, we conclude that people <clears throat> who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. <clears throat> and consequently, such people have no connection and cannot have connection to the sons of peace either. That by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind that is within Christ Jesus. <clears throat> what we're saying here is that our conscience collaborate with our renewed mind. That is within Christ Jesus, that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ here on earth before we will be raptured and meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith, so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we have been studying the following question, and this again, to shine upon the righteous and unrighteous, pour your reins upon the just and unjust, to reward the one and punish the other. We've been studying the following question. By what signs are we able to determine examining ourselves that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. 
With this, we've noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in righteousness would bear fruits of peace, which is why the prepared for them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to the promise of peace where they can be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 Apostle Paul said, And now the crown of righteousness is prepared for me that the Lord will give to all those <coughs> who love his, uh, his coming. We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God and are the obligations of the covenant. And if either of the sides violates the conditions that are agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we know that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side, being God, is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that he may fulfill his part contained in the covenant of peace. When the time comes to fulfill this covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his son so that we, we would share with him all the things that are written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification which we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth in the format of a guarantee has converted into the quality and format of righteousness, where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12:14. And so the peace of God will never be out of holiness or out of the boundaries of holiness. The peace of God is always within the boundaries of holiness. The peace of God is holy in nature. We've noted that in this place of scripture, we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12, 18. And so, again, we see here that it's not always possible to have peace with specific people. Therefore, the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life and share then suffering with people that we had decided to, uh, because of our mind, our decision to communicate with and determine which of them is really holy and which one isn't. 
How can you, the only one can determine this, the pastor in the church, every individual church, the one who to determine who's holy and unholy is to be done by the pastor of the church. And if, according to scripture, a person leaves their church and mocks it and disagrees with the truth, then the pastor of the church is required to expel such a person from the church and a person will not people of the church will not eat with such a person but if people of the church decide <coughs> that there's not very anything wrong they just went to a different church what other church uh, did he go to how can another church accept this person uh, and if they do that means it is a idol house a church of God will never accept a person who is expelled from another church who has offended that church that has spoken negatively and has resisted the authority of God there. We need to clearly understand that. Because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the wicked who support the unclean, who in their time accepted the truth, but then left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them, transformed themselves into unclean people. The very fact of the rebellion and resistance against the words spoken by God's delegated ones that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. If they would have had peace, they would not have left. They left because they lost peace, and they lost peace because it's not possible for a wicked person to sit in the congregation of the righteous. It's not possible. He loses his peace because he now has his own personal head, as they, say, as they state, their own personal Bible, their own personal opinion, their own personal gospel. And of course, they will lose peace and they leave from the, leave the church and then find peace out of it in their idol houses in the sheaves that God bundles together. Righteousness no longer corrects them. Their conscience has burned out and they've suffered shipwreck in their faith. They have become slaves of sin and became free of righteousness, which is why they experience liberty. This, lib this is a liberty, this is a freedom from the uh, slavery of righteousness. Thank God that we are slaves of righteousness, that we honor God's holiness, glory to God for that. And poor as the person who leaves from this righteousness becomes free from the slavery of righteousness and rejoices, becoming a slave of sin. How odd it may be that almost all of these people then become drunkards immediately they note their exodus with alcohol immediately. As one told me, one person, uh, he was in the restaurant, he was, uh, he was helping the people, he was a, uh, he was a waiter and he see, he says, he, I see a group of people and they were from your church, he told me. They did not 
uh, recognize me and I in Russian uh, asked them what they wanted and they were celebrating and they said they were celebrating uh, exiting a totalitarian uh, uh, dictatorship uh, church and so almost all churches around us they legalize drinking alcohol tell me the scriptures say directly drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of heaven understanding that you break one command you break all of them I remember when I talked about this I read places of scripture that the fornicators drunkards revelers and such will not inherit the kingdom of heaven I was not yet the pastor I just came here the pastor of the church a couple of people approached him and told him we've caught this man in a heresy and their pastor was drinking uh, did drink and he asked what heresy he said that drunkards and fornicators are in one list of people but we don't understand things like that and he he told them he didn't say it he read it in the bible that's how it's written but they tell him but we don't understand like this but if you don't understand like this then what he said is not a heresy because it says it directly and so in other words I don't accept that that truth they 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 cover themselves they they justify their acts by saying I don't understand things like that I don't understand it like this or agree with this you are resisting the truth you are replacing the words I don't understand in this way you are as an antichrist and justify yourself by stating that that's not how you understand it the scriptures don't don't ask how you choose to understand it clearly states what needs to be done so we can drink a little bit then we can commit adulterous works a, a little by little and all kinds of other sins just in little amounts <clears throat> the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast of mire and dirt there's no peace as my god for the wicked isaiah 57 20 through 21 and and isaiah chapter 49 also uh, says this in a specific format we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are sons of peace as well as the sons of god and have been studying the seventh sign and this is the ability to close your essence into the holy and selective love of God which is antichrists are against but of all these things put on love which is a bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful Colossians 3:14:15. we've noted that according to this place of scripture the reign of the peace of God within your heart is possible only upon one condition and that is if the selective love of God will abide within your heart and if you will be clothed into the selective love of God selective that means holy not as human love is uh, it is separated from human love and everything that man calls love and understands as love by itself the selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God this is God's goodness in 
its absolute form. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and exclusively with His children. Those people who fear God, people that honor the authority that's in the church and are not rebellious. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. This is the prayer of Apostle Paul about people that have accepted Christ by faith, have been justified and made a covenant with God, are baptized by the Holy Spirit and practice spiritual gifts and they don't have an insufficiency in gifts. But he tells them that he prays about them, he prays about them being able to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love. He's staying, stating or saying that Christ is not yet in their heart. You need to do something, prepare a place for him so he come there. The fact that you've accepted Christ in salvation, that doesn't mean you accepted Christ himself. I accept Christ as my personal savior, but actually he gives to you the guarantee of this justification, but he has not yet entered the heart because you don't have a temple there. You have not built yourself into a holy house, as a holy priesthood. You, There's nothing there yet you need to build a temple for God you need to make of yourself as a living stone make yourself a temple where he would be able to come so that you be being rooted and grounded in and lo love would be able to comprehend with all of the saints and this can only be done in the church with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God Ephesians 3:16 through 19 however to come to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken word of the apostles and prophets. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. 2 Peter 1, 2-8 each of the seven qualities of the fruits of virtue contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities as they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other. They are diluted one in the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. In order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, 
as the Lord and Master of our life. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become a part of God's divine nature. And these promises are the unsearchable riches of Christ. Therefore, the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God in the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man. Tolerant love is something that is possessed by lawless men and men of the flesh because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities, and characteristics of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness. This doesn't look here like a tolerant love and all that comes from God because God is love, a holy love separated from all that man calls love. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom, that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. <clears throat> Here we don't see tolerant love. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the, the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 867. The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1, 9. And also the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5-7 Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. We demonstrate the holy love of God. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog 
in the earthly realm of the human lexicon. We will not find a definition for these words, the words in the in the in the dictionary, dictionaries of this world. They are not there are definitions existing in those books, but they are not in accordance to what the scriptures identify. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its ability to foreknow and predestine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own. He will knock so that a person open. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, hears and opens the door, I will enter in and dine with him and he with me. He is not violating the sovereign rights of the person and will never allow his own sovereign rights within his boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as his burning holiness. If a person attempts out of the boundaries to enter the presence of God, he will not be able to. The door will not open, he can pray as much as he wants, but if his prayer is offered upon an altar that's not sanctified and is not in accordance to the rightful demands of God, then this prayer will not be able to come to the, into the presence of God. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stop to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3, 16. And God has done all of this by the people who, who fear him. It's by them that he has shown, because only by the church can he show to the angels in heaven, to people on earth and hell and demons in hell, what he has done. Because his work belongs to the body, to his church, and only this church can testify of these things. Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identify the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man in his words, his actions, and the manner in which he dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt the instincts of the opposite sex. And that is why young people and people who are also aging they are the ones that begin to <coughs> uh, reveal their chest and wear shorter skirts, thinking that in this way they will appear younger. Remember that this is for you, Apostle Paul wrote. Tell that those of that, that are aging 
in a way <clears throat> they dress in a way that does not prompt the instincts of the opposite sex that all and the young uh, people as well dress in a way not to prompt the instincts of the opposite sex. In scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God and godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Further, we note that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God in his favor toward man and the godliness of a man, which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man is his favor to God, a man's grace to God and his thanksgiving, to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship, keeping yourself from being defiled by the world, imitating Christ and meditating about the, the things of the hills, seeking the, uh, God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God in his goodness when it comes to man is, yes, his favor, his goodness, and his grace towards man, his mercifulness to man, not to every man, but to man that repents upon his conditions, the conditions of Scripture, and lives in accordance to Scripture. His thanksgiving, his good work, and his good acts, his kindness in the absolute sense of the word. The goodness of God and his favor toward man is an uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man, kindness of God identified as his, as his good, acceptable, and perfect will, which was formed in the entrails of the Heavenly Father and elevated by him as a law of grace in the form of his commandment, which God had magnified above all his names and placed himself in dependence from his word contained in his commandment. And he is vigilant over it so that it be fulfilled in its time. The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics, called to identify the character of godliness, there is also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well, that conflicts with or resists the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 3.5 I had said uh, once, uh, at one time there was a, a gathering of people and a brother had asked <clears throat> uh, the other brothers, are you holy and are you righteous? They, with, in surprise, they looked at him, and the one that was ahead of the brother said, Brother, see what he's saying. What kind of pride you have to have, arrogance in yourself, to call yourself holy and righteous? We are not denying it, we want to be godly, but we're not yet godly, we're not yet holy. Pay attention here. They, with their mouth, testify that all of their uh, congregation, their church is out of God. 
how you, not being holy and not righteous, dare to become an Episcopal and pastor and then lead people and preach to these people that they are just like you, blind. As soon as people open their eyes, they leave the blind leaders and God directs them to a person who can see that they can follow. True godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man and with disdain break all relations or contact with them and distance itself from them as it reveres and trembles before all the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. Relevant to this, we need to answer four classical questions. What are the characteristics of both God and man in Scripture. Second, what purpose does godliness have within the relationship of God with man and man with God? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? And fourth, by what signs do we need to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract the favor of God upon ourselves? We have already studied a series of conditions that we need to fulfill in order to turn God's favor upon us. Fulfilling the next condition is the necessity to heed the word wisely and trust in the Lord. He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Proverbs 16, 20. And also, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. The goodness of God, the favor of God. Proverbs 19, 8. To find good is to find the favor of God in his mercy. At the same time, to heed the word wisely is the ability to attract God's favor upon yourself. In other words, to heed the word wisely is your goodness or your favor and well-being in God that you demonstrate to God that he in turn can respond then with his thanksgiving demonstrated in his favor. <clears throat> According to the consistency of the two proverbs completing one the other and opening up the true definition and purpose of one the other, we conclude that to heed the word wisely and in do and doing so discover the goodness of God or his favor in the given to us trust upon God, it is necessary to obtain wisdom so that we can keep understanding and to understand and master with your heart the meaning of the given condition which places a goal before us to find the favor of God in the given to us trust upon God, it is necessary for us to respond three main questions, and they are. What work is it referring to here that we are to heed wisely in order to obtain the goodness of God contained in our trust upon God? Because if we will not know the work we are called to perform wisely in order to attract the favor of God upon ourselves, we will be doing work that will be done unwisely, due to which we will then prompt the wrath of God against ourselves. By what characteristics do we determine trust upon God contained in the goodness of God? 
not understanding and not accepting into your heart the treasure of hope given to us by God in Christ Jesus that contains conditions for a mutual favor between us and God, we will not have any ability to understand and master the work that we are called, to, called by God to do wisely in order to attract God's goodness upon, his, upon us in his favor. What nature of wisdom is it referring to and what price do we need to pay to obtain this nature of wisdom in order to do the good work? Because not having wisdom, we will not be able to do work wisely in order to demonstrate our favor to God. And then instead of providing God a basis to turn his favor upon us, we will provide God a basis to turn the anger of his wrath upon us. And now, to respond to the first question, it is necessary for us to look at the principal phrase of the given proverb, he who heeds the words wisely, or to do work wisely, which means lead legal action against your soul. This is evident in the phrase, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. Therefore, if we wisely lead legal action against our soul, then this means that we love our soul or our life for which God committed his son to death. If due to our ignorance, which is always a result of our hard heart and stiff neck, we will unwisely lead legal action against our soul and this means we do not love our soul. We conclude that this place is referring to the salvation of our life as a whole. This includes the spirit and soul and body. In my time, by the suggestion of the Holy Spirit, I changed the format of the trusted to me by God preach, uh, preaching and sermons of, of good news so that in every sermon we be sure to focus upon the fact that salvation that we receive being born from the seed of the word of truth is given to us in the format of a guarantee that is necessary to turn to profit. The Holy Spirit has fo been focused on, uh, on, on us paying attention to this fact. Using the language of jurisprudence to turn your guarantee of the salvation of your soul to profit means to confirm the law about salvation of our soul. The salvation of our soul that will not be confirmed by us in our heart is the salvation that will not receive the legitimate right to lead a legal action and save your soul. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James 1.21 Here it clearly states that our soul is not saved, but is in the process of salvation. If we will do what? If we will cast off our old man with his deeds, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of, of, weak, uh, of wickedness, so that we may, if you pay attention to the character of the given commandment, then it first is addressed to that category of people that already received salvation by faith in Christ Jesus. And second, that this command states that regardless of the fact that we have salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, our soul or our life is not yet clothed into salvation, and it is necessary.
necessary for us to do something to save our soul. And this something that we need to do is written in the book of Apostle James. And it's the requirement to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness to receive with meekness the implanted word to be able to save your soul. And in the book of Apostle Paul, it's casting off the old man with his deeds. According to the statement, we conclude that salvation for our soul, which we receive as a gift of grace, being born from the seed of the word of truth, is truly given to us in the format of a guarantee. And to save your soul, it is necessary to turn your guarantee of salvation to profit so that you obtain your soul in the salvation of God. For example, as we more than once have stated, if when purchasing any kind of property or real estate, you put down a portion of the money as down payment as a format of a guarantee, then this does not yet mean that this real estate or property that you made a down payment on, it has become your own possession. This means that you legally have turned on the process of officializing and obtaining this property. And for this purpose, it is necessary for it is necessary for us by the established terms of the agreement of purchasing and selling, present evidence that you have the full amount to pay for this property. If you will not uh, come up with that money in the term, uh, uh, within the terms that uh, the term that is given to to you, you will not own that place. And to confirm the concept of the guarantee for the salvation of our soul, that we are called to turn to profit in order to obtain your soul and save it from destruction, we will turn to yet another place of scripture, remembering that there are many more similar places like it. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have used for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God you may receive the promise for yet a little while and he who is coming will come and will not tarry now the just shall live by faith but if anyone draws back my soul has no pleasure in him but we are not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul Hebrews 10 35 through 39 there's a process of uh, obtaining and ownership of your soul. As a matter of fact, endurance and long-suffering is something that applies to hope, is linked to hope, and comes from hope, because hope waits. It's Every one of us is called to take initiative or be a businessman, that is, the bus being in the business of saving your soul. Everyone taking initiative, and every one of us, again, is one that takes initiative or one that's a businessman. Everyone taking initiative or being every businessman knows that in order to begin developing or to develop any sort of business that would become his own in order to bring him profit, he first needs to have some starting capital. His guarantee, again, that is necessary to wisely turn to profit in order to build his business that will then bring him profit. And if a person will unwisely invest the available capital, then, understandably, then the business that he already sees as his own will more likely will become the belonging of another person that will wisely uh, invest his capital to profit. I turn to the internet to look at the statistics, what principle or percentage of 
businessmen that have invested uh, ha actually are successful. 95% of those who invest or those that are businessmen lose their capital and are at the broken crate. They bring in their capital, they begin their business, but and then they become bankrupt. 95% and only 5% still uh, continue to have a business. The reason for losing the capital that is invested is that they unwisely invested their capital. Before you invest your capital, they did not consider the most important. Do they have enough knowledge to lead their business? This is the most important part. Give a person however many million, if he does not have a, the understanding or knowledge, he will become bankrupt. He will be bankrupt when he begins. And if you give a wise person a small capital and from the little, he will uh, grow and grow and grow his business and will become very successful. It's all depending on how you lead your business and grow it. Jesus says, Luke 14, 20 through 30, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. He began his business and lost it. Luke 14, 28 through 29. Receiving salvation after you're being born from the seed of the word of truth, our soul is clothed into this guarantee of salvation and becomes a guarantee. And we are called to then turn it to profit by losing it in the death of Jesus Christ so that we can obtain the full price of silver that is the salvation of our soul. Everything that is turned to profit is something that you lose. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that one no one may take your crown. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's talking about you wisely. Uh, uh, turning to profit your salvation, Revelations 3, 11 through 13. Every saved person has the ability to turn his, his salvation to profit. The unfortunate thing about many people is that instead of using the anointing power of salvation to lose their soul, by carrying their cross, they use the anointing power of their soul to preserve their soul and rebuke demons and obtaining more souls for Christ. <clears throat> when he had called the people to himself, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. This is the capital. You are that capital, the re redeemed one, the anointed one. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8, 34 through 37. This is written in all of the other gospels, book of, books of the gospel as well. If a person unwisely uh, 
does the work for his soul, he will lose his he will uh, lose his salvation. God has given us the guarantee to save our souls, and this includes not just the soul, of course, but spirit, soul, and body. That means our whole life. Second question: By what characteristics do we determine trust upon God, containing the goodness of God? Hebrews six seventeen through twenty. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel and confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the, of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of, of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. It brings our soul behind the veil into the presence of God, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 6, 17 through 20. Hope in the form of oath promises that is in the blood of the cross of Christ is called to place us into Jesus Christ and lead us into the presence of God where we will forever will be kept and protected from the wrath of the Almighty. Practically, our hope in God is the discipline of our faith and the immovable foundation of our faith upon which as a foundation the hope of our faith is based specifically the foundation of hope is upon which the, the foundation that we are to build ourselves into a spiritual house holy priesthood and offer spiritual sacrifices to God in Jesus Christ according to this our hope that the hope of our trust is upon are the foundations of the new Jerusalem the 12 uh, forms of truth that, that identified the elementary principles of Christ that came in the flesh. Not having within your heart the understanding of the essence of the elementary principles of Christ that are the foundation of our salvation, we will not have any hope where we would be able to discover the, the goodness of God for our soul. There's no favor, goodness of God uh, for man who has not taken the initiative to write upon the, the tablets of his conscience the 12 elementary principles of Christ, the 12 elementary principles of Christ. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Hebrews 7 through 719. <clears throat> the better hope that is opposite of the law, law of Moses is the law of grace that is called to be enthroned in the heart of a person in righteousness to eternal life. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 521. How can grace be enthroned in the heart of a person through righteousness if a person says, I'm not righteous, I will do something to become righteous? That means this person is saying <coughs> that he doesn't have grace either. <clears throat> but he tells everybody else that he's under grace and we're all under grace. If you're not confident you're righteous, how can you be under grace? In one Pentecostal church where I grew up, which was my cradle, and when I returned there, I, 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 went, I was in the army and then I returned there. 
And so we were uh, in the nearby city, and they gladly gave me uh, the word. And when I began to speak of justification, that when I began to talk about how a person is justified and needs to thank God that he's justified, and it's enough for him to know that God is faithful to his word. If he confesses his sins, God blots out the memory of these sins from his mind, and he doesn't need to wake up the next morning and tell, and tell God to forgive him again or ask God to forgive him again. The church was crying. They all began to cry. The leader, the leading pastor in that moment, it wasn't the pastor that I grew up with, uh, but uh, he was actually had a, fa a heart of a father, but this one stood up and said, well, this is not just, brothers and sisters. Why is it that you're all crying? Brother Kadi is speaking as if we don't tell you these things. We tell you the same things Brother Kadi is. Why do you not uh, cry but you sleep, but as soon as he comes now, you're all crying? But still, brothers and sisters, even if you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, forgive me one more time, you won't sin. If you see what happens in people, and then a couple of the elders approached me, they said, thank you, brother, we understood everything. We understood you, and we perfectly understood our pastor as well. It's uh, it's very s sad, and I truly feel bad uh, when these pastors uh, speak and people look at them uh, waiting to receive something, but they're empty clouds. They try to give them hope, saying, you know, you need this, you need this, and this, if you will have this, and they think if they'll have this, they're going to be happy. But this person doesn't know what he's talking about. He can't even identify the things he's talking about. If we do not have the righteousness that would be able to be in accordance to the demands of holiness written in Scripture, we will not be able. We will not have. We will not be able to have hope upon God that it would be able to collaborate with the truth that is contained in hope. Specifically, hope that is contained in our heart is called to identify the legal action that you are that you are initiating against your soul. And so it's not evangelism, it's not performing miracles, it's not heal, healing or gifts of the Holy Spirit, but salvation of our soul in the fruit of hope that is called to be, that, that is the fulfillment of our calling or purpose. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Romans 8, 24, 25 to identify as to whether we truly or in what measure we collaborate our hope with the salvation of God. We will look at the results or the fruits of our hope that will be demonstrated in our ability to accept the hope of our salvation upon the implemented by God requirements. The fruits from working or collaborating our hope with salvation is the ability to accept hope in the form of the shield of salvation. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. Second Samuel 22:36. Accepting the shield of your salvation 
salvation is a general concept in Scripture that belongs to all of God's children. And the price for receiving the seal of salvation is, is the price and the ability to wait for the appearance of Christ from heaven. And this is not for the uh, purifying of our sins or cleansing us from our sins, but for waiting <coughs> for his salvation. <coughs> he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to he had appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and as it, it is appointed for men to die once but after this the judgment so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many Hebrews 9.26-28 the absence of perseverance and waiting for Christ to come from heaven is the absence of hope it indicates an absence of hope and the absence of faith and a good conscience the foolish they uh, do not work uh, to save their own soul having faith in a good conscience which, com which some having rejected concerning the faith of suffered shipwreck 1 Timothy 1.19 and so this is talking about people who have denied the mind of Christ and have determined for themselves how they're supposed to be saved. Shipwreck in our faith is a voluntary and mutual collaboration of our conscience with the enemies of our faith, that is, impatience and at the same time victory over the enemies of our faith and our conscience is the voluntary and mutual collaboration of our faith with the faith of God which are which is obedience to the words of Christ Amen let us bend our knees and pray and we will thank God for the word that we were able to receive today and I invite everybody all the saints who have in some way have sinned, fallen, are shamed, that have no success, you can come here and receive cleansing of your sins to wait for Christ in salvation. You can right now accept again your salvation, the salvation of your soul if you lost it. I want you to understand that even if you sin, you don't lose your salvation. The righteous, he may fall seven times, he'll rise again. If you receive justification, then this justification is not linked to any other sin that may occur. You may stumble, you may fall or sin. It's not possible to avoid them, but the scriptures say the righteous will fall seven times but rise again. He falls, but he does, he does not become unrighteous. You don't need to do something to be righteous. You became righteous because you accepted your salvation in justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Keep this, and because this is the foundation, do not allow the devil to destroy the stronghold, and God then will lead you to salvation, and he will lift you to such a level where your old person will be bound, and your uh, lust desires will be silenced, and you will finally receive a, a full confidence that 
In the time God will appoint, the stronghold of death will be thrusted out of your body and the stronghold of life will be put in its place. Amen. Let us pray. I'm going to pray your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God loves you with his eternal and unchanging love and he will not let you out of his hand if you will not let him out of yours confirming your justification that is in Jesus Christ and right now he's ready to deliver you from shame deliver you from the dependence of sin whatever it may be to lead you out from darkness into light to give you a bright and new hope a hope in the future that he has prepared for you something surprising and wonderful believe that he is able to destroy the stronghold of death in your body and erect the stronghold of life close your eyes this is your secret room lift your hands to God pray together with me Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ I come to you I open up my heart you see that is wounded by sin it is wounded by lusts it is wounded by desires I ask you forgive me wash me cleanse me by the blood of your son I believe in your powerful word your healing words your cleansing words and your living word I open up my heart I accept your salvation the salvation for my soul for my life and right now before heaven and hell I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words I am washed I am cleansed I am healed I am restored I am justified and I am saved Amen your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ may the Lord bless you may he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all of the blessings of the hills and the valleys that are eternal be upon you. May this be upon your head and upon your children as well. May it be upon you and be fulfilled upon you at the appointed by God time and the nations will say Amen. the kind of thoughts of a person is who he is catch your thoughts as soon as they start to sway away to something else and begin to see what is and looking at what's really happening in your spirit and your body immediately tell these thoughts the Lord lives and my soul lives I wait for the 
thrusting out of the stronghold of death from my body and I wait that the Lord will erect the stronghold of life in my body. I thank you, Lord, for this promise. I have accepted this. Begin to glorify and thank God. Meditate about this and you will see that all your doubts or thoughts will flee away. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.